everybody. I'm Dr. Chad Hawk with Matt Dowd, and we are Renegade Atlas, charting a new path for your life. And so today, we're continuing the discussion, the important discussion, uh, about race relationships, about oppression, about mindset, about places where your heart goes and the things that you preload your mind with when you're thinking about other people. And Matt, um, I think this discussion has been really good, and we've got a guest on today, somebody I actually went to high school with. His name is Cal Jones, but Matt, how do you think the conversations have gone so far? Well, I think it's been fantastic, largely because our guests so far have been excellent. You know, we've been able to hear from some really well-spoken, intelligent people. Um, I've felt really compelled. I keep saying this. I felt really compelled just to listen, you know, just to ask some questions and listen and try to gain perspective that I haven't ever really had before. So I've really enjoyed this, just kind of getting getting enlightened by some other people. And I think we're gonna get some more of that today. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm gonna introduce our guest today. Uh, so he's an architect currently practicing in Chicago. He grew up in Kansas City. Uh, we actually, as I said earlier, we went to high school together at Bishop Hogan. I know you attended University of Kansas, you were a walk-on to the football team there, right? You're a wide receiver, if I'm remembering correctly. Mm-hmm. I was actually a defensive back. I really oh, wasn't that man, that was bad. <laughs> Crash and burn on that one. I was actually a defensive back, so that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Did it make a difference to Kansas? Oh. Yeah, did. oh. <laughs> <laughs> nice, 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 nice. Wow. Uh, yes, I did walk okay, on. Okay, my, my call team is no better. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's all good. Um, I did walk on to Kansas for a year, and then I uh, I realized I wasn't going to go to the pros, and I I reached my limit, and it was really exciting to go that far. And then it was like, okay, it's time to focus on school and uh, get a degree, and uh, that's when I started focusing on architecture and um, got my degree in architecture. And and you've done a lot uh, in your career at this point. I mean, you've, you've helped with the 18th and Vine Jazz Museum in Kansas City, which is what maybe we can actually talk about that in a little bit. You've helped with the, you know, President Truman's library expansion, um, helped with uh, Rockers, which is a Jesuit school here in Kansas City. It's, it's um, renovation they went through a number of years ago. Currently, you're doing a lot of work, uh, not just in design and development, but you're working hand in hand with people, helping them, especially kids in Chicago, right? In the inner city of Chicago. Yes, I do. Um, the, the the focus of my work has been uh, from day one, uh, working in community-based architecture. Um, the, the real word for it is institutional architecture. But um, for me, um, kind of my voice has always been to build, rebuild community. And uh, it's not really building it in a building form, but actually building it with the people and the, and the organizations and actually doing the whole process. So it's not just a physical part of the building, it's how you use the building, who's using the building. And so as a total whole, the entire community is built up, not just putting in a new structure because structures, they're good and they can, they can excite people, but it's what those structures do to the community, how you use it. So tell us where you grew up. Tell me, tell me about the part of your life I don't know. Where, you know, before <laughs> high school, before high school, tell me about that. Uh, before high school, uh, I grew up in Kansas City, Missouri, in Swole Park. Um, uh, I was very active uh, in the community at that time. My parents are well-known uh, uh, people who work in the community. 
And, um, you know, it's just a regular kid doing my thing in Kansas City. Um, the funny thing about it is I grew up, my dad was, uh, did, um, car, uh, he was a carpenter. So he, he was a, a principal during the day and carpenter at night. So I grew up putting things together and building things by hand uh, as a kid. And like when most people, I always laugh and say when most people were playing with play school, I was playing with the real deal, you know. Yeah. And uh, but I had this this thing that said, you know, hey dad, why don't you do it like this? And he just looked at me like I was crazy, you know, like oh, why why do you have an opinion on how to build stuff and how to design stuff? So I got into architecture and building things uh, really early. Um, but I also got into to, uh, helping the community really early. They would always pull me around and tag me around and say, hey, you need to do this and take care of it. And it's something that uh, has never left me. So um, <clears throat> uh, Bishop Hogan was a great uh, start for me uh, in, in going to school. But uh, the real development happened when I um, when I left uh, Hogan and uh, went to KU. That's when things really changed. And what, what changed in your life then? Um, the biggest thing for me, uh, growing up in inner city, Kansas City, uh, I was very fortunate. Um, like Julie Hill was the president of, of uh, NAACP. She was across the street. Uh, I had two Tuskegee Airmen in my neighborhood. I had historic jazz musicians in my neighborhood. So for me, I felt that I grew up in a very strong African-American uh, neighborhood. The thing that I missed was actually is learning about other cultures. So when I chose to go to University of Kansas, I chose to take myself out of something that I was familiar with and learn uh, about other cultures. And uh, I always laugh and say, nothing against you, Chad. I mean, when we went to high school, that's one thing, but from my actual neighborhood, I said the only white people in my neighborhood were cops, priests, and nuns. And that was it, <laughs> you know? So it's like, who else is out there, you know? And uh, one of the, the the things that was very interesting when I got to college, someone said a Jewish joke and I didn't laugh. And they were like, don't you see that as being funny? I'm like, no. And like, what do you mean? That's a joke. And I'm like, no, I don't get it because I didn't grow up understanding that. So I had to learn about other cultures I had no idea about, which was really challenging, very challenging. So when you get to KU, I mean, it's a, it's a pretty darn white environment. There's some Asian influence there as well, but um, what changed for you? You know, what was that experience like? Because we, you and I didn't even know it. And we were there at the same time. Yeah, you know? we didn't. Right. Um, what was crazy about KU was um, the strength of the African-American community was there, right? You know, um, but the, the interesting about KU is that I'm going to, from a place that had, uh, very few white people in the neighborhood to 27,000, and there was uh, 600 black students. Um, and if you break it down to a third of those being athletes, third of those on campus, and third of those didn't really talk to anybody, you weren't talking about a big population of African-American students. So that forced me to see the world um, through the eyes of other people, not through the eyes that I understood. And what's interesting about that is it's like a mirror, right? You, you see things and you look at that mirror and it bounces back at you and say, why do I do the things I do? If you stay in your same community, you don't have to ask yourself that. You know, you, you, you see that people do something different and then you go, okay, why, do I don't, why don't I do it that way? So it started to make me develop and change into the person I am and see the world as a whole 
and how I fit as an African-American in the whole, in the world, not just in my community, which was a huge breakthrough for me, major breakthrough. Um, and, and growing up in, in Kansas City gave me the, the, the foundation to, to, to move forward and be able to stand strong in some of those areas. So it was pretty good. So how did that change or impact your postgraduate life? When you became, you were now an architect, you're now out in the real world working, earning a living. How has that, um, your early life experience working with your dad, you know, using tools, building things, creating things, going to KU, getting a new view of the world, and then integrating that into the work that you do, and like the, the work that you were able to do down at 18th and Vine. You know, how has this changed the trajectory in which you find yourself at today? Well, the great thing about it is um, my mentor was a uh, Jewish man uh, from, from uh, in college. And the first thing he said to me was, um, I want to work with you. And I'm like, there's no way. And he basically told me, uh, if I tell you that I understand that African-American male life and the view of the world is different than a white male, would you work with me? And I said, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and that was our basis. So what he allowed me to do is to understand my voice and my voice is African-American male. So, you know, with that, I was able to say architecture, culinary, those things, I have a voice. And that voice is to work with the inner city and to help people and to use my voice to help people. And that's kind of one of the things that I think, um, it took time to develop, but it was something that I never, I always uh, used. And then stronger and stronger I got with it. Now I can, once I moved to Chicago, I started to use that voice to say, hey, um, when I'm working in the inner city, I know that, I grew up in it. So these are the things that we need to look after. These are the things that make the project better. These are the thing, questions that you ask your, your client to say, what is it that you really need? And that to me is really looking out for people. Um, I often do, sometimes when I do schools, I talk to uh, the contractor and I say, you know what? I need you to build a school like it's your kid's school. I want you to put your heart into it like your kid is gonna go here. And they look at me a little different and say, you're serious about this? Absolutely, absolutely. Because these kids look at a school or a community center as their home is their safety zone this is where they can get away this is where they can learn and you know not everybody has a community like that so um developing that that voice to be able to do that uh is is really helpful but it took time it took a lot of time for that to happen uh, and it's not like you always know how to sing you got to practice right so that's the way it goes so when you see the events that swirl around our world today. Um, in some regards, it's been rinse and repeat, right? When you have uh, riots that were occurring and protests that were occurring in the, the 50s, the 60s, 70s, the 80s, the 90s, and here we are, 2020, what stayed the same and what's changed when you see these things play out and, and you perhaps have spoken with your parents and you've heard their life experiences, how does this impact you and what's the same and what's different today? 
That's, that's very interesting um, to, to ask that question because um, my parents were really pre-60s generation, right? So um, they come from the, the, the generation where you got an education, you got uh, on the playing field and you work from within. Uh, the 60s came around and people protested more and they said, hey, we're gonna make change. We're gonna make change. You're gonna make it happen no matter what. And now we start to compare the 60s and, and what's happening now. What's interesting is, is now we have people in place in each area. Meaning you have people in the playing field. You have people in corporate America right now. We've broken that, 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 that glass ceiling. Now you have people in the streets. You have people that can, that can voice themselves and protest. And now you can start working together to make it happen. It's not like you have to protest to break the glass ceiling. The glass ceiling is already broken. We're in place. So the difference that, that I've discussed with people between now and the 60s is that in the 60s, there was black people protesting, trying to wake everyone up. This, at this time, the majority of the protesters are actually young white kids. You're talking about 60, 60 to 70% of the protesters are young white kids. That's yep. making a change that you didn't have before. Here's something that, I, that I've said pretty jokingly, but I kind of meant it. So did I protest? I haven't protested. I've been to a rally. But what I did say, thank you to the protesters. And they were like, why are you thanking me? I said, you're giving black people a little rest. <laughs> Give me a couple more days <laughs> so I can get some rest because I'm going to have to go in here and take your protests where you woke up and you got people to pay attention to what's going on. And now because I'm on the playing field, I'm going to have to turn that into policy. I'm going to have to be the one who, and, and I'm not saying me, but the people who are in the boardrooms, the people are making laws, the people are making policies. We're going to have to, to finish what the kids in the protest started. You know, we're going to have to make that happen. You know, those kids are young. They put themselves out there. They took a lot of uh, uh, physical abuse and they did a lot. Things are starting to happen. Things are starting to change. And those changes now, we're in place to ink them. We're in place to follow them. So the difference between the 60s and now is that it's the world is doing it, right? It's not just Black people in the United States trying to make the change. It's Black people in the United States. It's white people in the United States. It's uh, brown people. It's Latinos. It's everyone is now seeing this as a problem. And that problem now is becoming um, the water cooler conversation, not the whisper in the back, in the back behind the scenes conversation. It's an upfront conversation. The question is, how long do we keep it up front? Because yes, Chad, things continue to happen um, every day. It's been happening since the 60s. It's been happening since the 50s. It has happened to me. I've been racially profiled. I've been put up against a, 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 a police car in Chicago uh, in an alley, and I knew it was over with. So I've seen, I've been in that situation and that situation is not going to change. We're not, it's going to happen. We're going to do the best that we can to change it, but there are going to be people who will not change. What we're trying to do is develop something, develop a change 
in the majority so that then they can become the minority, not the majority, right? And everybody can kind of move forward together. So um, I'm very positive in the direction that we're headed. It's just everybody has to do their part. That definitely have to do their part. Okay. What about the idea of, or what, what's your impression when I say something like, what if we were to work on marginalizing the behaviors that we consider abhorrent, right? The bad, the behaviors that um, have no place. And this is, I, I'm going to make it more of a blanket statement than a specific mm-hmm. statement um, because I think it gets to the heart of the individual. But um, the behaviors that are wrong, no matter who is doing them or why they're doing it, if we work as a society to marginalize those behaviors and say, that's wrong, we can't do that. It, it, it doesn't matter who you are, it is completely inappropriate to ever put your, ne- your knee on the neck of a person, whether you're, uh, it doesn't matter the rainbow color that you could be on the ground. To marginalize that and call that out for what it is, which is evil, which is disgusting, which is vile, and has no place in a developed society. And we set a standard where we hold people to that level and we're able to actually call that out. And even though there were people with a cell phone recording it, there was, there was what an an Asian guy standing right in front, an Asian officer standing right in front. And because he was protecting his fraternity of police and not caring for the person on the ground, which is his, his job. That's constitutionally what he's, cho- he's told to do. We marginalize the wrong behaviors, and we do that as a corporate community. Then I think we can make it. If I say that to you, what's the impact on you? When we, when we make a change at that level, um, that is a change that has to happen not only at the grassroots, but has to happen throughout the system. So what that means to me is not um, convicting uh, uh, the the police officers, but actually sentencing them and carrying it out. Um, So what ends up happening is, is that, yeah, they're charged, but then something happens in the sentencing. Something happens in, in this, after the sentencing, after they go to jail, they might have 25 years, but for some odd reason, that 25 years turns into three or five, and, and, and then they're out, right? So what has to change is, yes, we convict them, we sentence them, they go to jail, and you go down the line, because as soon as you start to go down the line, then there becomes a... a attitude and a culture that this is not accepted. You know, the attitude of culture that you can't do that. But do understand this. We have to be real with ourselves. If you, once you start doing that, yes, the majority of people do that, but there are people we have to understand. We're not going to change everybody. Everybody is not going to agree to this. And we have to understand that that's not going to happen. But if we do the best we can to in, in better the most of the community and, and, and better everyone to look at it after each other, 
that is where things makes make a difference. We're not going to change the worst of the worst. It's just not going to happen because there no. are bad people out there, right? That's no. why the people talk about defunding the police and get rid of the police officers. Absolutely not. Please do not get rid of the police officers. Get rid of the bad police officers. Absolutely not. Don't get rid of the 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 whole department. Just get rid of the the uh, anti tank vehicles that they have, right? And 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 the and the military vehicles that they have, because then you're turning it on to your own people. Get rid of that. But we do need police officers, and I respect the police officers, even though it's happened to me. Just because it's happened to me once or twice, three times, that doesn't mean that every police officer out there is bad. There are guys out there and women out there, they're putting their lives on the line to protect us. Let keep the good ones out there, but we have to weed out the bad ones. And that's where it gets bad. And it's, and it's even with the same people uh, looking at cultures. Um, I will say something today that made me smile. Um, and I see change and, I, and just happened today. Uh, I looked up to my calendar and there was something happened for Juneteenth um, and in Chicago and I looked up and it was already on my calendar. Like it was like, like, like Apple had already put it there as American like uh, holiday. Mm. And I chuckled because as a kid, I always went to Juneteenth celebration in Swope Park. And it was always like a black thing. <laughs> you know, it was like, are you going to Juneteenth? Yeah, man, I'm going to Juneteenth. All right, cool. It was always like this little, this cool thing that was like within the community. But for me to like go to my phone, look at my phone and see Juneteenth celebration as, as, a, as, as a national national thing on my phone, oh man, I was very proud. So I'm seeing changes that, that are going to bring um, uh, conversation because like I said, everyone is not going to agree, but the conversations there and you bring things to the open. That's, that's what makes it a beautiful thing. So you just hit on something that I think is really important and Matt jump in whenever you want. I'm just railroading this conversation, <laughs> but um, uh, taking it all in the, um, the idea of having a conversation. So I'll just give you an example. Um, Cal, you and I were at our 30th year anniversary uh, reunion uh, last year, right? Was it last year or this year? Whenever it was. Last year. Yeah, last year. Um, and uh, we hadn't seen each other in 30 years. And we just start talking. We have a conversation. Sitting down and having a conversation with a person goes so much further than anything else you can do. And I think... This is where, and again, I'm getting on a soapbox on this one. This is where social media does a big injustice because it prohibits conversation and it becomes about platitude and who's right and wrong. Mm -hmm. So you and I could sit down and reconnect after 30 years and it was a great time. I mean, you shared things about your life. I was able to share a few things about my life and I left feeling like we had reconnected in a way and we weren't like close friends in high school. Right. Right. We knew each other, but we were close friends. Um, right. And I, I left the reunion knowing you better from that than I did in high school. Mm -hmm. And it's just because we took 20, 30 minutes and we actually communicated with each other. And that's well, what, the key. But, and I think what's happening is the key here is that that conversation is happening across the board, across the nations and across the, the globe. So um, I think there's something important that with the Black Lives Matter that we need to, 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 to take into to consideration. When this happened, things I believe in the universe um, makes things happen for a reason. There, the, it's a universal thing that happens and it just, just, just doesn't happen. 
COVID-19 broke everyone down in the world to fight one thing, and that was COVID-19. There's never been anything ever in the world has made every single nation, every single person on one platform, and that was to take care of the world in COVID-19. So everybody is in the same mind frame of helping everybody else to get past this thing. No one, everyone's looking for, for a vaccine. Everyone wants these, these cases to go down. And then Black Lives Matter hit. Then George Floyd hits. And what happens? Everybody is still on the same page, right? Now we're seeing everything together and wanting to help each other. And now we're having nations of nations and people helping each other all at one time. The conversation that we need to have is not just how are you doing, but to listen to each other, to listen to the differences and not just to, to have the conversation. Now, I've had plenty of conversations with um, friends and, and colleagues and coworkers about uh, uh, being black and American and being and doing th different things in America and being white and, you know, I hate to say the color line, uh, but what it has been missing is really listening and really being wanting to listen. So the difference is, is like, and I, I say this all the time, there have been many a times when people invited me to go to bars. Many a times, people invited me to bars. I go to bar, I don't like drinking a lot of beer, but I go. But as soon as I say, hey, come down to the south side of Chicago and hang out with me, oh, my finger hurt, you know, oh, I broke a toe, oh, you know, how long we're gonna be here, oh, you know that's not listening <laughs> you know that's that's not it. it it's i'm on my way i'm gonna have a drink and we're gonna sit and hang out and have a good time that is what really needs to happen mm -hmm. and we, we talk to each other but actually listen and be interested in each other's cultures because i will say this the beauty of chicago um and kansas city has it too but really really is the beautiful thing about chicago people say it's a segregated city. It is a segregated city. You have Polish people over here. You have Latin people over here. You have Black people over here. You have Irish people over here. You have uh, Italians over here. To me, that's okay. That's okay to have it separated like that to keep the culture strong. What's mm -hmm. not okay is sharing that culture, right? It, it, what's, I want to go and get authentic Italian food. I want to go and do an authentic uh, Latin culture i don't want a melting pot where it all goes to one thing i want to applebee's go run away yeah, i don't want an applebee's <laughs> i don't want an applebee's when i want to go somewhere i want to go and get the real deal right but i want people right. to welcome me in there i want to be able to share it with people and and learn the culture and that's the beauty of it and and hopefully mm -hmm. uh the protests uh, have, have done that um one of the things that we I've talked about um, since the, all this has happened. And I was trying to find out why is it, and this is my opinion, my opinion, this is what I see. Um, why is it that we have a lot of young white kids being involved with this? How did they get involved with it? And I start to think about it and I start to say, well, we'd like to, to ask if I could get a poll somewhere how many of these kids listen to hip hop? How many of these people listen to Jay-Z? How many people listen to Kanye West, Lupe Fiasco? 
how many people um, are, are, are wearing uh, superior uh, clothes. So they've connected in something where they've talking to each other more than just, hello, how you doing? And, and that's connected with uh, the black community. And now they're saying, hey, I kind of, I've heard you. I've heard you. I, I, I've listened to your music. I've, I've partied with you. I've hung out with you. You're more than just someone that I hang out with. Now you're my friend. And now you're hurting my friend. And that is what made people say, wait a minute, something else is happening here. I'm going to go fight for my friend because that's wrong. And, and that's when we're breaking down the, the, the barriers of culture and starting to listen to each other. I mean, that's, um, it's, I think is a good thing. It's going to take time. And like I said, it's, it's the, it's part of America's it's the one of the things we've been fighting for a long time. Um, uh, it, the sad thing about it is Chad that you asked me before what hasn't changed. This was the sad thing. I was raised to carry the torch. I was raised to say, it's going to be your time at some point. This is what my father taught me and my mother and father taught me and, and, and people who raised me. My time to do it was now. The sad thing is, is that I had to pull my niece and nephew aside to say at some point it's going to be your time to carry the torch. I wish I didn't have to do that. I wish that, that, that that's a conversation I didn't have to do, but I did have to have that conversation with them. Like, hey, you don't have to fight now, but you understand, pay attention to what's happening. At some point, it's going to be your time to, to lead and to be out front and to, to fight for equality. And that's, that's a hope for the United States I wish we don't have to do at some point. So you brought up um, a very interesting idea of – cultures not having to melt together into one thing, but maintain their unique identities and be, um, I don't want to say, maybe even separate and distinct in a way, but still have the same ideas and goals and dreams, you know, finding success and, you know, providing for your family and having community, all of those, those ideals, if you will. In the 1960s, in Kansas City, something happened that didn't happen um, too many other places because a federal or, a, yeah, I believe it was a federal judge changed the way that the school systems worked here. And you may know where I'm going with this. Uh, there was the whole, the, the desegregation that occurred in the, the schools, the school system, specifically in the high schools. And all of a sudden, communities were forced by a judge to be broken apart. And you had kids who were sitting on a bus for two, sometimes three hours, getting from home to a different high school to make things all segregated or desegregated. And the intent, while may have been very noble, the actual way it played out, I've heard reported because, you know, we... Cal, you and I were just uh, young, 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 if we were, you know, it, it had a dramatic impact on both the white and the black community at the time. And actually it caused, I think a lot, and this is looking back hindsight, it caused a lot of division to occur from that. There probably were more eloquent ways to have handled that. Um, but did your parents ever make any comments about that? Or do you know anything about that? Yeah, that I, I did. My parents also were educators. I mean, that's what they did. My dad was a principal. My mom was a, uh, and a teacher, and they were in the school district for 20, 
32 years, probably why I designed schools. It was dinner table <laughs> <dinner tater> conversation. <laughs> That's what I did. Um, but yes, um, the, the uh, breaking up of, of the schools and busing uh, kids out, what that does is um, that now makes the kids separate from the community that they, they grew up in. That makes now Miss Johnson doesn't watch you walk down the street. She's not paying attention to you walking down the street. So now you're starting to separate and destroy the community because now you're spreading the community out. Bringing the community back in to where you know you have people. One of the things that I, I grew up was I grew up in a village. I, I grew up, if I got caught on the plaza doing something wrong, my parents didn't have to see me. You know, I can get a phone call and be like, what are you doing on the plaza? Uh, how do you know you're at work? Well, such and such saw you, you know? Yep. Yep. Nowadays, <laughs> people say, that's not my kid. Oh, no, that is your kid because that's a kid in your community. You should be able to say, hey, what are you doing on? You're not supposed to be here. You're supposed to be in school. Why are you not here? We're not doing that anymore because we've had to remove that and, and, and broken up the community and that, that busing kids out of the community instead of bringing things in tight and saying we're all one. Um, one of the things that happened uh, this weekend, uh, my fraternity helped uh, rebuild a lot of the, and clean up some of the riots. So there, there are people who are out there coming behind the riot saying, you know, you know, we got to rebuild our community. And some of the conversation we had was a lot of the kids there that were rioting, especially on the south side of Chicago, not really on the north side, but the, the south side, they were, their thought pattern was, this is not our, our business. They, they, they have insurance. It's not a big deal because they're not a part of the community. But if they were part of the community, if they went to school there, if they got their groceries there, if they got their um, uh, social services there, if those things were provided to the inner city community where people could walk to them, where people could have people who lived there, who worked there, then you say, you know what, I'm not going to tear up that business because that's Mr. Johnson's business. He paid for my baseball team. I know him. Um, I know, or, or we're going to stop because I was part of that grocery store. That's where I work. Don't tear up where I work. But those kids, the, the people don't have that type of connection anymore. And that's what we, um, we fight for now. And I think, I'm hoping that um, we can start to see that. You know, when you start to defund the police um, and take some of that money and put it back into the, the, the communities and rebuilding communities and, um, you know, having kids walk to school, you know, instead of bus to school. Uh, and, and I was lucky that the Hogan uh, was pretty much in our community. But, yeah, that that is 30 years, 40 years of policy that we need to rethink, you know, and it's not just a police department. It's how we have. Um, thought about what a community is, how we've built community. So it goes back to me building a community. How do we build it? How do we build it back up? How do we physically build it and how we build it up to create a community? So um, those are the things that uh, I hope become a conversation and not just a conversation, but make real difference and real change. Um, and, and, and hopefully we're in a, like I said, I, a lot of people are in a very pessimistic thing about the rise. I'm not. I, I really do believe that a lot of positive things can come out of this um, and it's just how we see it in our, in our vision. So you've mentioned 
focus on community, focus on communication, and then is there anything else that you think should people should put um, an effort into or become more aware of or perhaps invest their own life into in order to help themselves so that they're more a, a better a, a more engaged member of our culture of our society uh, I do um, the the great thing about it is um, since the since the uh, everything that's going on, people are saying, what can I do? What, 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 how do I help the black community out? And I really want to help out. I'm like, well, you know, not everybody can be on the front lines. Not everybody can, can uh, protest. Like, you know, I, me walk me, me walking, you know, five, 10 miles. I used to be a runner. I'm a runner, but I got to torn meniscus right now i'm not walking too far <laughs> i'm not going too far right now uh, i need the young people to, to carry the torch for walking but what i tell people is and it's gonna sound um i'm very passionate about this everyone has to pick up their own weapon to fight this and whatever your weapon is you choose it my weapon happens to be building communities going to to give out food you might be a coach. You might be a little league coach. When something happens that a kid is doing something wrong, you have to step in and say, hey, that's wrong. Take the time out and say, that's wrong and teach them. You know, it, it, everybody has to do their part. If you're, if you're a teacher, you know, extra 30 minutes in working with a kid to get them where they need to go. You know, as simple as saying thank you to someone walking down the street. Everyone has a part of this, right, and making things better. Um, that is what's going to make this change. It's not just one person protesting or one person going over here making policy. Everybody has an opportunity to do something for their community and to better the whole community. We don't have to reinvent the wheel. The wheel is already there. It's just we, as you said, Chad, with social media and with a lot of Internet, we've kind of pulled out that personal thing and saying, that's not my problem. It is your problem. It's everyone's problem. You know, it, it's that is what's changed this. It's become everyone's problem. It's touched every single person, just like COVID-19 has touched every single person. This now has touched every single problem and is a problem not just for black people, but for white people, too. You guys are missing out. You're missing out on learning that there are other cultures out there who have a strong culture. And it's not something we just do during February, during Black History Month. This goes out throughout the whole time. You know, it, just think if we open our eyes up to all the cultures that are in the United States and we celebrate them. You, you'll be, we're all over the place. I mean, it's so much to learn. And we have so much here, but we don't take advantage of it. You know, we, we go back to that that cloud that's sitting over the top of us, uh, the, the black, black and white cloud. And instead of fighting through it, we don't. So to me, everyone has a weapon, whatever it is. If you work in your church, if you work in, in your school, if you work, you know, even with, if you work in corporate America, stand up for something and say, you know, that's not right. We're going to go this direction. You know, that, you know, maybe we shouldn't do that anymore. Maybe we should we go over here and do it, look at this point. Or, you know, say, hey, let's not go to a bar this weekend 
for our office event. Let's go help a community out as our office event. That's the way change starts to work and the conversation starts to happen. And we have to start listening to each other. We definitely have to start listening to it. I hate to bring this up, but Colin Powell, I mean, uh, uh, Colin Papernick, I'm thinking of Colin Powell, uh, Papernick was screaming at people, right? I lost friends in corporate America because of that, right? They're telling me, I'm like, I'm an I was a former athlete. I was a coach. I, I, I'm, I understand what this man is saying. And I lost friends because they were like, you're crazy. And now we have to go through this for someone to listen. You know, a lot of this could have been avoided with just a simple listening and say, let me put myself in your shoes and let me listen to you one time. And, and, or let me actively listening to you uh, and not just be in a room with you. You know, that's what needs to happen is that people are actively listening to each other. So it's, it's, it's up to the individual. Policies can do a lot, but it's really up to the individual. And, you know, maybe, you know, I, I hate to say this, but maybe we end up challenging the, the hip hop people, the hip hop artists and the, the artists that I really feel brought us together to, to put out more positive images because now you got our attention. Now you got us kind of hooked together. You got the network there and you got the, the, the blanket and connected us. Now to take that forward and say, hey, you know, do positive things and, and make things really work. Because, you know, to me, hip hop is a very strong culture. It's a culture that's grabbed everybody and grabbed the whole world. And back in the day, hip hop used to have uh, a lot of positive influence. When we were in college, man, I, and you listen to hip hop, man, you was ready to take over the world. I mean, you was literally like, if you went to go do something, it was like, let me put some music on because I'm about to kill, I'm about to kill it. Like, you know, he's like, let's go do this. Um, and I think we, they still have a, they still can do that. They stay, they, uh, they are not using it to the level that they can. We're not using our, our weapons as much as we possibly can to fight uh, what's out there. Matt, I'm going to ask you a question. Okay. Okay. You've been listening. I've been listening. Yeah. What, what, um, as you're listening, what's being impressed on you? Yeah. I mean, it was what, what Cal was just saying actually was striking me because it seems like every conversation we've had so far or the couple that we've had so far, like we talk about systemic things and societal things and it always kind of boils back down to the individual and like me reaching out to somebody or vice versa and, ha and building a relationship because like you were saying, Cal, like I'm not going to burn down the store where I work or for the guy who I know who takes care of my family or whatever, right? It's like once a relationship is built, then I'm much less likely to go. It, it, it's, it's about, um, dehumanization or not right it's like us and them and they're just them they're like they're republicans they're democrats they're black they're white they're young they're stupid they're whatever but it's just like they're just a group right and they're not an actual person and if somebody becomes an actual person to me it just changes the whole way i look at them and it's hard to hate somebody that you know mm -hmm. but it's easy to hate somebody that's just part of that group that's my enemy right so i guess that's kind of the thing i don't know how that how does that land with you? No, you're absolutely right. Um, you know, even, like I said, even in corporate America, I've been in corporate America for 25 years. And I've actually had someone tell me, you're not one of them. 
Like, what do you mean I'm mm. not one of them? Like you, you work on, you know, you work in downtown Chicago, you're an architect, you're not one of them. I'm like, uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, the police are not going to ask me, um, where mm. do you work? before that happens to me, something happens to me, you know, no one's going right. to ask me, a woman is not going to say, do you have a degree before she clutches her purse? I'm still right. African-American man. I'm still a black man. I'm one of them. I am them. I am the definition of them. But <laughs> mm-hmm. what starts to happen is that now someone looks back and goes, I didn't never saw you like that. I just saw you as, you know, my coworker, I didn't think that you had something different. Well, now we're having that conversation. Now we're having that conversation of saying, yeah, there, there are black people on the east side of truce that are good, (laughs) you know, like, 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 I come from that side, like going to KU, one of those things that opened up, I didn't know that that was called Brown Town. So I went to KU. Mm. I'm like, this is my neighborhood. I never saw a Brown Town. I went to the plaza. I went to shiny mission i went all over the place but for someone to tell me you live east of truce that's called brown town that really shocked me like whoa hey, oh, i never heard i never heard that i never yeah. heard of that you know but then i thought about it i was like well i can see why you say that you know but i am from brown town i am from Soul park but i do work in corporate america you know we we have those same experiences we have two different worlds so that breaking right. down the barrier and having that conversation and having that conversation one-on-one when we're talking with each other, where we're, we're engaging with each other is, is really important, is, is very, very important, you know, or seeing that there's another way of doing things, you know, that we can, we can all go in the same direction, but we do it differently. And if we recognize that and celebrate that, I think we can really move forward and, and, and make things happen. And I, I can see a lot of things change in the last couple of weeks. Uh, I'm hoping that that can change. Um, and I hope that change continues mm-hmm. and it's up to us to make that, you know, continue making that change. Um, and, and people standing up for things and, and being better people. And that happens with the individual person. Um, so, uh, it's funny. Once you do something good for someone, it makes you feel good. You, it, it's not making them feel good. You feel better, right? You know, it's like, oh, I'm going to yeah. make that person over there feel better by, you know, saying hello to them. You know, actually, when they smile and look at you, it's most of the time you go, hey, <laughs> I feel good. I feel a lot better. So um, that's going to happen. Uh, hopefully that, that can happen. <clears throat> Okay, so I got a couple more questions. I'm going to ask all the questions, and then we go back and address each one. I just want to make sure that we don't, I don't, I just want to get them out there first. All right. Right, right. So what you were kind of just addressing, I feel like that has a lot to do, and I want to hear your opinion on this, with just kind of the idea of inertia. Like, it's just easier for me to stay on my side of town and stay with my community than it is to, like, go across town and reach out. Okay, Um, so I want to hear your thoughts on that. And then next, like, you were talking about the NFL and how I was thinking of like how some people are kneeling, some people aren't, everybody has their opinions on that. The NFL is changing their stance and other things like that. I'm kind of curious to hear which types of those public displays have impact for you, like what's meaningful for you and which aren't like what types of things aren't. And then lastly, I would just want to know like from your perspective, excuse me, what would you want, 
like people of another community, like the white community to know from your perspective that we just might have no way of knowing unless you tell us, you know, or we experience it with you or we actually listen. Okay. Um, that's, that's great. Um, what, uh, it's interesting, um, that you say that because, uh, one of the differences of Chicago and Kansas city is that Chicago is built of a lot of different uh, neighborhoods. I think we have, uh, uh, 29 different neighborhoods, I, I believe. Um, so within each neighborhood, you really don't have to go anywhere, right? You can, you mm -hmm. can, you can get your, your food there, except for the South side, which are food deserts, which is a whole different thing, culinary oh, and food and all okay. that. Yep. It's totally different on the South side and West side. That's, that's, that's some of the things we need to systematically, we need to change. But if you go to different communities, they have their own, um, uh, churches, they have their own uh, um, grocery stores and convenience centers and all those types of things. So they don't really have to go anywhere. Okay. So right. what's interesting is you talk to other cultures and they will tell you to go get X. I have to leave my community. Mm -hmm. It's not easy to do that. I have to travel to go get food. I have to travel to go out. I have to travel to go do this. The only people don't really travel yeah. are majority white right. Americans. They're the ones to say, I'm <laughs> staying in my neighborhood. They're the ones that really need to get outside their neighborhood and go to other places. <laughs> the other people, right, we've been right. doing it our whole lives, right? We're the ones mm. who've been traveling around and seeing what's going on. You guys got to catch up with us. It's kind of cool. You know, it, it, it's kind of cool to see the other, the other neighborhoods and other things that are happening. So, you know, do you, is this is going to be easy? No. Do you have to put in right. effort? Yes, you have to put in effort. Yes, you can just sit at home and stay in your community and not do anything. Or you can say, Alvin Ailey is playing, you know, um, in 18th and Vine, I'm going to check him out. That means you might have to go from Shiny Mission all the way to 18th and Vine to do it. You need right. to go, you know, or, or um, you know, you might have a jazz concert or a, an event that's happening that's an art event that's going on at the Nelson Art Gallery. You, you need to go see it. You need to force yourself to come out of your comfort zone to go see something different. Um, mm -hmm. One of my favorite art um, um, writers, uh, Carter G. Woodson wrote that a mind that remains in the present atmosphere never undergoes sufficient uh, change to understand what is commonly known as thinking. <laughs> so right. you have to get out of your environment to think that it goes for black people, that goes for white people, right? Right, it, right. It goes for everyone. You have to be it's challenged. It's a human thing, yeah. It's a human yeah. thing. You have to be challenged <clears throat> mm -hmm. to learn to think. And once you learn to think, then you're going to say that's right and that's wrong. Or, you know, mm -hmm. that's right and wrong for everybody, not just for me, but for everybody. So, yes, it's hard. Yeah, you might yeah. have to drive another yeah. 15 minutes. <laughs> so what? <laughs> or you have to catch a train and go a little bit further to go do some. Who cares? But what you can get right. from that is a whole lot more. Um, so that's the first thing. 
um, the change okay. in a stance um, from the NFL, um, from uh, the one that I'm very, I've been, the NFL is something I've followed and I, 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 I like what's happening, but um, the one that's really got, has my attention are actually the military. Uh, the generals that have changed their stances on, on some things and said, hey, I don't agree with that. Um, uh, some of the uh, athletes are changing stances. Yes, some of those things are stay, some won't. Right now, yeah. Black Lives Matter and, and supporting Black Matter is, a, is a, um, a popular thing right now. But what right. the question is, is how do you sustain that? How do you sustain right. that it's not, it is Black Lives Matter, but how do you sustain uh, breaking down the system and changing the system? Um, yes, what the kneeling, the protests, the riots, all those have brought that to our attention. That's awesome. Now that right. all that is, is the, we're on the table, now, how do we do it and who really wants to do it? There are programs that I've put in place and worked to put in place and actually were successful that people say, ah, we're not gonna do that today. Well, why not? Yeah. What, what, why? You know, the, the programs are there, well, why are we not using them? There was a, a program um, called Common Threads, which teaches inner city kids culinary and culture and um, fitness that I, uh, a lot of chefs uh, um, uh, volunteered for, and I volunteered and, and taught for them for uh, three years. Great program, great program. There are a lot of kids out there who have common, uh, live on food deserts where they don't have fresh fruits, they don't know how to cook with fresh fruits, so you have to teach that to them. Why that, mm -hmm. why did that now stop being in a community that really needs it the most. It's gonna take work to keep that going. It's gonna take work to keep that moving. And that work will be seen in, you know, two, three years. It's not gonna to happen tomorrow. You know, it has to be sustained effort of working on this. So um, the, the change of the stances, you know, you gotta give them chance. You know, I, I can't, a lot of people say, like, what are you gonna do? Why, why are you changing now? I'm, I'm mad at you. Well, shoot, isn't that what you asked for? <laughs> then you ask for them to, 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 to do it. Yeah. Then you ask for them to do it. So now they're doing it. Why are you arguing with them? What you want to argue with them <laughs> is another five years ago, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. She got done five years ago. Oh, okay, all right. You know, yeah. now that I got my yeah. ice cream, are you am, are you going to eat it or not? You know, I'm going to eat it, and I'm going to like keep keep giving me my ice cream. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm not going to let it melt. <laughs> Be like, oh, I don't want it. <laughs> no. Um. Give them opportunity right. to change. Give them opportunity to develop. And then you know what? Don't even, this is reality. Some people might change and some people might back up a little bit. They might need help mm -hmm. pull, bring them back in. Don't crucify them for, for backing up a little bit. You gotta help them come back. You know, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a working back and yeah. forth. If you got their attention, they might not, they might put a, you know, a toe in the water and they might not jump in. Okay, I'll go with a toe. I, I'll go with you slowly mm -hmm. changing. I'll go with you saying, hey, I'm not comfortable with this, but I want to change. I just don't know how. So that right, right. that work with each other is how that happens. And then um, what would you like the white community to experience? Um, 
or just to know even, you know? To know even. Um, I, I, like I said, I, I'm coming from a, a, a different angle and that different angle is um, I became a stronger African-American by going to a white school, right? Mm -hmm. I spent time in Italy and that really helped me to see what being African-American in, 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 in America, right? The African diaspora. I was able to do that because I was the conversation and the 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 uh, difference. I was somewhere where I had to think. White people have to ask the question, not as "Oh, teach me," but talk to people like you would talk to your friend. But I challenge the African Americans too. You have to respond. Yeah. You have to respond and, 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 and talk to them. It's not a one-way street. You know, you're not going to have someone coming to you saying, hey, bring me to this party or do this or take me to, to, to listen to um, uh, some of your artwork or, or take me to a Juneteenth celebration. I would love to go. And eh, you're not really down. Well, they did ask. Mm-hmm. So it's our responsibility to be like, all right, if you want to come see it and, 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 and be a part of it, come check it out. You know, this is who we are. You know, we celebrate it, but we have to share it also, right? And the, the problem with sharing yeah. sometimes is that the sharing now then becomes taken over. You have to respect it and not take it over. You have to respect it. Like I said, these communities who have different cultures, you don't to go over and listen to our coaching and take it. You listen, you experience it, you celebrate it, and you let it be its own. What people mm -hmm. are afraid of is that a lot of times when you allow the majority to come into a culture, then it becomes watered down, it becomes whitewashed, and you lose it. That's yeah. the, the fear. Sure. Respect it not to take it. Respect it not to take over. <laughs> Respect it to come yeah. in, learn, understand, appreciate, and then go on. You know, it, it, that is the fear of a lot of cultures that you don't want to be watered down. You don't mm -hmm. want to be a melting pot. You want to do you, celebrate it, but you don't want to be a melting pot. You want to be respected. You want to be respected as a human and as a culture. And African-American culture is one that has built the United States, has built the culture of the United States, is it is ingrained in the building of the United States. We can't go anywhere because literally we're part of it. We're the part of the fabric of the United States. We have to understand right. that, respect that, and, and learn that and say this is a good thing. Um, um, when you celebrate African-American culture, you're celebrating not just the culture of African-Americans, but you celebrate the culture of America. I mean, that's who we are. So and I'm going to follow up that comment with um, for many, many years going to Africa. Sometimes I would have African-Americans come with me. And the amazing thing was they went with a mindset and when they got there, it was way different. They realized they're more American than they are ever African. And it's because their 
the culture that they grow up in is so vastly different than a Ugandan or a Ghanaian or they don't, they, they struggled. They would spend half of their trip and their brain is just trying to make sense <laughs> because they may look somewhat like them, but they don't think the same way. They don't talk the same way. They don't have the same mannerisms. And it was a shock to them. And it oh, was, go ahead. Yeah, it was just it was just a, an amazing thing to watch happen, and I think only only one that I'm aware of, um, one African American who went with me didn't go through that, but every single other one did. Mm-hmm. I absolutely absolutely went through that when I went to, went to uh, school in Europe and and worked in Italy. Um, I actually people thought that I was Italian. <laughs> I mean, they would like. You're, you're, you're either from Milan or from Naples. You're not African. I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm African American. Like, no, you're not dark enough. You don't. You're not. You know, you're too. You're too wide. You know, you're like, there's no way that you're African. You're like, you got too much muscle. You're not dark enough. You don't have an accent. You're. Where are you from? Milan, Naples. Like, yeah, you, you gotta be from Naples. No, no question. No. And that was an eye opener to me. That's, that's the way you, you start to see, like you said, you start to see yourself as a African-American in the world, in the African diaspora. Uh, that's for like, like, it's a bigger picture here, right? And even once you realize that the culture here is so vast, it's so strong, it's so, um, you, you're so proud of being an African-American, right? And you're carrying that, like, like, people say you want to go back to Africa. I'm like, go ahead, go. I'm proud of being an African-American. I'm proud of what my ancestors have done here in America. I'm proud of the, to know that I've been to my plantation. I'm proud that my father picked cotton. I'm proud that my mom has seen uh, uh, the Ku Klux Klan and that they've built from that to where we are now. I'm not trying to go anywhere else. I'm, I'm very proud of that. But understand how you are and where it is in, in the world. You know, it, it's a bigger, a bigger thing in the world. So yes, you, you, when you when you leave, I, I I suggest that every African American I can to leave this country to go see yourself in the world and see wh- how you fit in the world because you will do those things. You go, oh, I'm going to go to Africa, and they're gonna look at you like, okay, yeah, right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. Like, like ah, it's better that you go to the Caribbean first and then go over because you're not 100% African, but we are though. We're African Americans and, and, and we, we do come from a strong culture and we come from a strong African culture and a strong American culture. And, it, and that's a beauty. And like I said, instead of looking down at us, say we, we celebrate it and, and we say, this is who we are. And this is as a culture, what we fought through and what we've developed and where we've come. And then the other thing is, this is where we're going, which is, which is an amazing place. You know, um, I think that we as African-Americans um, have a, a, a place in America and we can really continue to make a difference. Um, uh, Obama and Michelle have really given um, sight to a uh, whole generation that believe they can do anything. You know, how many times have people said, yeah, whenever a black man becomes president, that's happened and it's over and now it can happen again or now we can do something different. You know, we can reach mm-hmm. even further and go even higher. Now you can say, you know, 
the world is, is, is your oyster, what, what happens now or where we can go. So, yeah, I think that, um, uh, Chad is, it, yeah. I, I, you, you're, you're talking to somebody that actually had to tell people, no, I really am from the United States. <laughs> <laughs> I am, I am I love- African. <laughs> so that's really funny. That's- I love that you say that you use the word sight, like they've given sight, like vision, right? That's what you're right. saying, like they've given them a vision. There's a proverb I was thinking of actually before you even said that, that like where there's a lack of vision, the people perish. Mm-hmm. And I just was thinking like how how powerful that is to have a vision. I think Dr. King had this, you know, and why, one of the reasons why he was so effective. Like a vision, something we can shoot for. It's not just like fighting the fires and solving the problems that we see, but it's actually something positive that we can move forward together, mm-hmm. move towards it. And I think this idea that like uh, you were, you alluded to it earlier, that it's not just like a black problem or a white problem or a police problem. It's like, we're all in this together. So the plight of one group, or if we fall apart one place, it affects everybody. Right. So we, we all got to get on board, right. And, and pull our weight and figure out what that looks like. Um, I, I truly believe in, in um, team sports. Uh, I, I, I really do um, promote them and I promote them in my job in corporate America. I promote team all the time. Reason why I like team sports and working as a team is because you trust people. You know that that person is supposed to be in one spot at one time. I don't have to see them. I know that they're going to do their job. And when they do that job and I do my job, I can't, I can't not do my job because it's going to fail. What has happened is America's come together as a team to fight, fight police brutality. Now use that teamwork that we've learned with police brutality, continue going, but use that type of teamwork to continue to change the things like homelessness, like um, uh, poverty, uh, education, um, housing, public housing. Once you start looking at it as a team, like I need to do my part. And the thing about it is, I'm not going to question you how you do your part because I know you're going to do it right. Right? That's that's what a team. That's what a team member does. And you you say, I know the play. I know my part of that play. I'm going to do it because at the end of the day, everybody helps as a whole. Right? And we have to remember that. Everybody has to remember that you have a part in this. You get it done. The whole rises, not just you. And if you fail, right. you know, you know, the whole team. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's, it, there is definitely mm. a vision. And the vision now is right. Like, and, and, and Matt, I, 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 that's the thing we have to figure out. The vision was protesting, rioting. At some point, the protest and writing is going to stop. Now, mm-hmm. what's the vision? Now is right. where do we see this and take this? Is it community? Is it com- community with everybody and working together? Or is it, you know, something different? You know, I think it's going to start with police. Uh, uh, a lot of people say the defunding police and some of the laws and some of the things. But everybody has to have one vision. And that's why I say the vision started to me with COVID-19. We were all looking in the same direction. 
we were all trying yeah. to do the same thing. And then this happened and that vision shifted. And now we're all looking and have the same vision of going in one direction. And that's helping uh, racism and, and, and uh, police brutality out. And, and that is, uh, to me, a positive thing. It's a very positive thing. Thank I have you, one sorry. other thought. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Go I ahead. Sorry, sorry. I know I just had one quick thought. I just want to get your take on this. You talked early on in our conversation about, you know, writing the policy and you just, you know, you kind of alluded to it or referred back to it a couple of times. I think it's, yeah, it's like, how do we enact this, right? How do we make it something real and not just a bunch of PR and then it goes back to the way it was. And my thought all that time was like, what if when we sat down to write policy, whoever's doing it, what if they wrote policy based out of love instead of fear? Well, would that be effective and what impact would that have? Well, the policies uh, based out of love and not fear, but you also have to look at policy based out of economics and class. Okay, so it's it's not just a love and fear type of thing because no one thinks that they don't love. No one thinks that they're afraid of anything. They think that um, mm. you know I gotta keep my status. I gotta keep my status quo. I gotta stay on top. I don't want to change being on top. Well, you know, no one wants to anyone to be afraid of anyone else. I don't want you to live in fear. I don't want you to live. Um, uh, in, in a place where you got to keep your thumb on me. What I want to mm -hmm. do is live in a place where, now, this, now hear what I'm saying. I want the best of the best to rise, right? Mm. That is what we need. True leaders should be in place, not leaders that are in place because they're white males and their place has been there at all times. Look, if you're a leader right. and you're white male, do it. But if you're not, somebody's got to remove them and put a leader and put a Latino woman in that's who's going to lead, right? It, mm -hmm. it, it's not about taking the place to me of black and white and saying, um, we're going to remove all the, the white people from, no, we can't do that. But what I want to do is the people who are ineffective, the people who are just there to be there. They need to, we need to get rid of them and put people together so everybody's going in the same direction because it's, you can fight like crazy. Yeah. You can have a, a, a corporate America CEO scream their heads off about what they want their company to do. But if you have someone in the company that's doing bad things or doing things not going in the right direction, you're not going anywhere, right? Yeah. So it, it's, it's, you can have the vision. One bad apple, right? One bad apple can kill everything, right? You know, you got one bad yeah. player, you got one piece, and that starts to mess up everything. Those are the people to remove, not everybody. It's, it doesn't work that way, you know. Um, someone mm -hmm. actually, uh, I don't remember, uh, I think you said it, Matt, when you said that I don't want to lose my status uh, in mm -hmm. Mia Easterling's um, uh -huh. you, yeah, you, yeah. You said you, you don't right. want to lose your status, right? You know, I don't want to have to, to go and do that. Well, we're not That's telling. That's like the ingrained, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. great. You want to stay on top. You want to be there. Well, you know, it might help not to be on top. You might be able to see right. where you want to go better if you weren't on top and you hadn't been on top. And then you can see what you really want to do or someone can really do. So, 
to me, yeah. you know, the policymakers have to make tough choices. They can't just put it on paper. They have to make tough decisions. And those are policymakers, like I said, across the board, black, white, Latino, everybody has to, to across the board say this systematically we have to change the system and we have to do it together and this is the direction we're going to go we we're all paying attention we've all gotten those emails from the corporate saying we're going to help minorities we're going to do this we're going to do that we've all gotten the the, the instagram calls we've gotten all the facebook stuff everyone's saying it right. but now how right. does that actually change and we'll know and like I said, small things, seeing Juneteenth on my phone, small thing, that's a change. That's a change that I'm happy right. to see, right? But I still wanna see changes happen six months from now. I wanna see changes happen two years from now, 20 years from now, 25 years from now. I would like to see Chad, you know, um, 10 years from now, five, 10 years from now, community strong, really strong, strong schools, strong supporting your communities, people saying that I'm proud of this community um, where we're, we're and, and here's the other thing that's interesting about COVID-19. I bring something back that I, uh, I think is very, we have to look at. COVID-19 has made us see globally, but we're reacting locally. It's a global pandemic, but the changes have had to happen locally. The local of you staying at home is a local thing to help something that's bigger, right? So now we're looking at local foods, local uh, uh, um, restaurants, everybody's staying local because they can't go too far. What if we looked at that as our community and said, okay, now we're going to stay local, but we're going to help local. We're looking globally because we're trying to be something bigger which is racism, which is police brutality, that's bigger. But how do you do that locally? Well, you know, we help the community. We do uh, help schools. We help kids. We, we grow. We, you watch after Miss Johnson, who's 85 years old. You stop by her house and say, hey, do you need some help with your, 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 your uh, yard? You know, that's my yard that I take care of. That much, it might be, Ms. Johnson might be 80 years old, but that's, I take care of that. This is my neighborhood. I take care of it. This is, I'm proud of this. So I'm hoping that we start to see that um, using the pandemic, using it looking globally and then acting locally and doing that and transferring to uh, Black Lives Matter, transferring it to changing a system that was broken from the beginning and it's always been broken. But I think that we can, um, sometimes broken things can be fixed, right? And um, uh, I work a lot with design, as you guys, uh, we mentioned, there's something called wabi-sabi. And wabi-sabi is seeing the beauty of the imperfect, right? The United States doesn't have to be perfect. It's cool. not. It's not. It's, we're not a perfect society, but we can come together and see our imperfections and bring it together. And it might not look perfect, but it still can be a beautiful thing because if we build it together, you know, we didn't start off pretty perfect, right? And we've had some problems, but if we could fix it, just think how proud we would be, you know, and, and you can mm. see the beauty of it. Uh, if we if we did fix it or we try to fix it together, you know, and that's not, like I said, it's not just white people fixing it, it's black people. So I have a question for you two before we finish this. Um, okay. What, and, and this is, everyone's asking the black community, what can we do, what can we do, what can we do? What is it that you, one, 
would need someone to do to help you break down your barriers and what would make it easier for you to say, um, I'm not, and I'm not looking at this in a bad way, but it's the communication back and forth. You know, what is it that you would need to, to help break down the barriers? What is it that you would need to say, um, like you said, what's going to get you out of your neighborhood? You know, uh, right, do, right. Do, do we do we need another? Uh, I'm not joke. I'm joking about this, but I'm not joking about this because I always go back to hip hop a little bit. Do we need another uh, a Run DMC and um, Aerosmith walk this way? <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? I mean, see, you're laughing at it, but it's real, right? That, I know, that, I'm that, laughing because I knew exactly where you were going with it. Yeah. <laughs> It broke it down. It's like, okay, hip hop is for everybody. Oh, sh- my white folks are dance, dancing this, black folks are dancing this, and it's real. That brought that was a barrier breaker, right? What is the barrier breaker that Man. you need now? You make a great point about art leading culture and society. I mean, artists do that. Um, you know, for me, I would kind of reiterate you listened to Mia's episode that we did a couple weeks ago, and for me personally, what comes to mind is like for you or the black community or whatever to know that I mean, well, (laughs) you know, and that like, I might screw it up though, but give me grace to like say the wrong thing. Or I've always been afraid of saying the wrong thing. I think that's one thing that's kept me from speaking up more. Um, So I want to like, I want to get in there. I just, and I, I want a little bit of grace to like, feel like I can screw it up and be corrected and I'll receive that. But, you know, that'll help me take, take more steps towards it. Um, does that make sense? Oh, it does. Um, one of the things that I, I laugh at, when I, meet, um, when I meet people of different cultures that are, um, I would say, uh, experienced in African-American culture, the funny thing about when they're experienced in it, they can mess up. They can mm-hmm. say certain things. You know that right? You can feel it. When someone's timid about it, and you can tell that they're not pure, and they're not true what they're trying to do, when they're doing it because of Black Lives Matter, not because it's inside their heart, and something that they really want to do, you can hear it, and you can see it, and that's Mm. what makes people upset. But when you go, oh man, sorry about that, I didn't really, like, oh yeah, I forgot, sorry. Like, that type of thing is someone going, "Um, don't worry about it, you're here, we go on about our way. But the whole thing is, oh, I can't talk. I can't do anything. Uh, I feel uncomfortable. You know, that there um, is what people can see. So, yeah, you know, just be pure what you want to believe in and be pure uh, and, and truthful and mean what you're, you're doing. And people accept that. It's the people who do it to be cool, the people who do it to make right. a statement, the people who are not real about it. When you see that, it's easy. It's, it's very, it's like a beacon. You're not here for real, to be real, but then there are other people who are. And it's really interesting when you become engraced. My, my, my white friends who are, um, and this is a very interesting thing that I noticed. My white friends who are very ingrained in the black African-American community and know the community, they never say I have a black friend. Mm. they're not even in mm-hmm. that conversation. They never mm-hmm. even mentioned that I have a, a black girlfriend, a black boyfriend. They never even say it. They don't have right. to. 
they they watch and yeah. go that yeah i yeah that's that's a conversation i'm not even getting into because i know what i'm about i know that i'm real and i know their community and i know that that's that's over there is not not right you know you, you understand what i'm saying it, yeah. they don't they, yeah. they understand yeah. it they're not even involved with it and they're just going about the way the ones that you get in problem with say oh i have a black friend like yeah your black friend lived where in the middle of kansas with you no <laughs> <laughs> and that's we're not talking about the same we're not talking about the black friend that's a part of your culture i'm talking about the black friend that's different from your culture and that that's the, that's the different thing that i'm saying the black friend is bringing a strong black culture to you not the one that that uh is the only black friend that you have in the and they have something to bring they do but what i'm saying is that a lot of times you take that and say my black friend that i have i have one well that black friend is part of your culture not you know something that's totally different right you know so that's is 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 very challenging so i would just say be honest and be true and and and, um go in and say hey i don't know teach me i'd be i'm interested i'm truly interested in what's going on uh or say hey do you know about x can you tell me about um like one of my favorite artists basquiat hey dude, I just saw this film on Basquiat, man, that's, it's hard. Have you ever seen them? Blah, blah, blah. I want to share it with you or, you know, or don't just share black stuff with them, share other stuff with them too. You understand what I'm saying? It, it, they're people, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So you share everything with them. You say, Hey, I just saw something on Patrick Herring. I mean, uh, Keith Herring, which is an artist. I know you in the art. You ever seen them? That breaks down the barriers where it's not just a black and white thing. It's just, Hey, we just hanging out. Totally. It's like a real relationship, yeah. It's a relationship. <laughs> yeah. It's just a relationship, man. Cool. We we got to eat. Yeah. We got to hang out. We got to do our thing. You know, it's 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 real cool, right? It's all good. Yeah. Right. How you yeah, how you, you doing over there, my man? <laughs> oh, I'm fine. <laughs> yeah. I I have um I'm gonna vent for a moment because there's a a a relatively speaking recent thing that has occurred that I don't understand. It is the hyperjudgmental way in which people are so willing to attack another person without knowing them. And that bothers me a lot. Um, and that's something that I don't understand. I don't get. Um, I certainly don't live my life that way. That is something that I've seen emerge, I would say, initially probably two, three years ago, and I've seen it amplify. And I, I am, I don't like to argue with people. I don't like to fight with people. I've never been in a fight myself. I've never caused a fight my whole life, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't get that. I don't get that mentality. I don't get that idea. And I can appreciate that the anger or frustration that's fomented over years can come out and be directed at one person, but I really don't like being labeled as something that I know I'm not and the core just because I happen to be white. And that's the thing, no matter if I, if another white person is telling me that, um, or if it's a, a, a person who's from Mars telling me something, I don't like when we associate labels to people without getting to know them. And that's something that I see 
especially on social media, getting flung around a lot recently. And to me, this is, this is no comment towards any particular group. It's directed towards people who are doing this. I don't like that. And I think you should stop it. Right. Right. So the labeling, um, what's funny that you, that's funny, but it's interesting that you say about labeling people white or seeing it immediately. You're absolutely right. It's one of the things that is part of, let's get back to why we're here. Why black lives matter, right? Why George Floyd was killed. It is something that's been happened has happened to African American people since day one. Period. When I walk down the street and I don't have a suit on, I'm a black man and I'm a problem. No matter what. That's something I need white people to understand. I can't take it off. I can't remove it. That is who I am. People cross the street. People get afraid, they come close. I could be the person in the, that can help you the best. Doesn't matter. And when you're 6'2", 220 pounds, a, you know, former athlete, that causes an even more problem because now you're big. Yeah. Take, think about one of my boys who, who's 6'5", 270, one of the coolest cats on the planet. But he walks around, people step back, not only in size, but they step back in fear. That has to change. And, and you know, you see in the emergence of it happening in the hyper judgment happening, but now you're starting to feel what African-Americans feel every freaking day. I'm, I mean, I mean that's, that's in all every, directions. That's every day you're seeing someone judge you until here's something that was interesting in Chicago. A state rep went to the, uh, the store and a police officer harassed him. He's a state rep, but because he's in jeans, Jordans, and a t-shirt with tattoos, the state rep looked at him and judged him for who he was and really gave him crap. And he's like, do you know who I am? <laughs> yeah, that, that's, yeah, that's yeah. the exact I'm a mindset. Double state rep. What are you no, talking that's about? That's the exact mindset I'm getting at is when yeah. we have preloaded our emotions now and our mindsets to always be going at people all the time. And it's just, I see it. Here we go. Let's pick on face masks. You, we'll take you know, identity away from it. Somebody wearing one, somebody isn't. Mm -hmm. I, my, my neighbor, 68 year old lady goes to the grocery store. She doesn't have one on. She's got some health issues. She can't wear them. Mm -hmm. She gets attacked by somebody, not physically beaten, but like assaulted verbally because she doesn't have one on. Why would you do that? And why do we program? Why do, why do we as humans continually have to tear another person down just so we think we're better than them, that mindset is so wrong on every level. And we have that goes to the heart of creating the change. 
And right. it goes back to what you were saying earlier, communication, listening, understanding, relationship. We've got to get those things primary versus beating somebody over the head with a, a policy, an idea, a law, a, a circumstance, um, an action that you may not even agree with. But why do we have to beat somebody over the head with it? We have to beat them over the head of it because we do not have not learned to communicate with people who are different than us period.